humans, hello humans, hello humans of the world. It's me, Ellie Krug on Ellie 2.0 Radio. How are you on lovely AM 950? Talking to you from the bunker. Hey, how are you today? How are you? Yeah, yeah. Yep, I know. I know. It's uh, fall and it's cold here in Minnesota uh, and I don't even want to get into it. So we've got a free agency show today. It's a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Actually, it is a little of each uh, because we've got a uh, replay of an interview that I did. It's an encore replay of an interview I did with Sandra Samuels about a year ago from the Northside Achievement Zone. You will, If you've never heard that interview, you will love her. And if you did hear it, it's well worth hearing again. Um, and so, uh, I, you know, and I'll tell you, I've been overwhelmed with a lot of things and, and frankly, trying to rustle up an interview for today. I did try, um, but they did not respond. Um, and so there you go. Okay. But let us begin right now. Okay. By talking about kindness and generosity that two restaurants that I know of engage in. Now, if you get my monthly newsletter, The Ripple, you will know that I highlighted, highlighted, a uh, bagel shop uh, by the name of Goldie's Bagels in Columbia, Missouri. The reason for the highlight is that the restaurant displays a sign that reads in part, hold on, I got to get the sign and I got to read it. It says in part, at the top it says, whoever needs come and eat. And it cites the Talmud. Um, That would be um, Jewish Talmud. And then it goes on to say, if you are without funding, and would like a bagel, wishmere, and or coffee, please place an order and ask us to charge it to our neighbor's account. We're happy you're here. The sign then goes on. It's, a, it's a, prominently displayed at the bagel shop. It goes on to say then, if you are interested in contributing, please let us know with your order, and we can pay down the balance of our neighbor's account with any amount you'd like to contribute. We're happy that you are here. So this is Goldie's Bagel in Columbia, Missouri, and uh, it's owned by a woman named Amanda Rainey, who started open the shop in the early in early 2020. Her timing was not all that great, but nonetheless, Amanda Rainey, the owner, um, she uh, she says um, that the reason that she has this policy, this program, the neighbor's account at uh, Goldie's Bagels is that it's about charity. She goes on to say that, uh, and I'm citing here uh, some, some facts from a uh, August 26th piece by Jane Steinbrecher in the Columbia, Columbia Missourian. Uh, Amanda Rainey goes on to say that, you know, charitable giving is a cornerstone of, of the Jewish faith. She says the ethical obligation is called tzedakah, spelled T-Z-E-D-A-K-A-H. According to Amanda, it's considered a higher form of tzedakah to not know the recipient of your donation. And Amanda then goes on to say that she thinks that it's a little bit more dignity in receiving the gift if um, it's given to you by somebody who is anonymous. And so... I thought that that was a really great story about Goldie's Bagels in Columbia, Missouri. And so I put that in the Ripple. And then if you're a Ripple reader, and some of you are, okay, within an hour of the Ripple going out, somebody emailed me. One of my Ripple readers emailed me and she said, hey, Ellie, hold on a second. 
uh, there, there's also a restaurant in St. Paul that does this. And I'm like, really? And, and it turns out the name of the restaurant is Jay Selby's. It's in St. Paul. It, uh, it offers alternative meat options. That's the whole menu, okay? There's not a meat-meat option on the, on the menu, um, but the restaurant is very popular, okay? And if you go to Jay Selby's, okay, they have a wonderful website, not the least of which Jay Selby's says every, every person working there makes at least $16 an hour. Uh, they provide health care for their uh, team members, Okay, I mean, this is a very progressive restaurant, and they don't have tips, okay? The tips are built into, into the bill. and Okay, so wonderful, wonderful stuff. But if you go to the FAQ page, um, it has a number of questions, okay? And the last question on the FAQ is, quote, do you still offer free and discounted meals? And here's what Jay Selby says. Yes, exclamation mark. Anyone may order complimentary community bowls by calling the restaurant. They are ready within about 15 minutes, and they give the number. We're also available to coordinate larger needs with a little advance notice. Reach out to, and they tell you how to make those arrangements. And so, so now I know of two separate restaurants in two separate states <clears throat> where the owners have decided that they would contribute back to the community for those in need by providing free meals. I love the neighborhood, the neighbor account at Goldie's Bagels. I think that that's just wonderful because when we're provided, humans are provided with a pathway on how to, how to exercise our empathetic hearts. We show up in droves. We do. And so here's the question I have for you, okay? If you're a regular guest or a patron of a locally owned restaurant, why not inquire if that restaurant provides, makes free meals available to those who can't afford it or who aren't as lucky enough as the rest of us? If they do, why not contribute 5 or $10 more as a way of helping out that restaurant? But if this restaurant that you patronize all the time, you know, and you know, you know the servers by first name and, hey, how are your kids? If they don't have such a program, why don't you suggest one? I know that sounds kind of radical, Okay. But why don't you suggest it? Have them reach out to me, all right, Ellie Krug. I'll be happy to get them off the get it off the ground. I'll share about them doing that on this show. Remember, Paul Wellstone said we will all we all do better when we all do better. Okay, all right, that's that. The big encore interview with Samuel, excuse me, Sandra Samuels from the North Side Achievement Zone is next. Grab it, you will love her. I'll see you on the other side. Thanks. Ellie 2.0 Radio. Um, all right, time for the big interview now. I have Sandra Samuels on the line. She is the executive director of the Northside Achievement Zone in Minneapolis. Sandra, welcome to Ellie 2.0 Radio. Well, Ellie, thank you. It's such an honor to be back on with you. Oh, You're amazing. Yeah, well, we ha- we've had you on before where we were talking yeah. about uh, disparities in the education system. And yes. I said it was such a great interview. I said I wanted to have you back because we ran out of time. And, and so welcome back. And what I wanted to focus on today, a couple of different things. One is 
I do want to give you an opportunity to showcase the Northside Achievement Zone where you've been the executive director of for a number of years. Can you tell us what uh, NAS, uh, your acronym, tell us mm-hmm. what it does, okay? And, yes. um, and make sure at some point during the, our interview here, you tell us how we can help NAS, okay? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks, Ellie. So, yeah, so NAS has been working on um, addressing inequity um, in terms of racial inequity in education and just life in general on the north side for the last decade. Um, I am a co-founder along with about 30 other nonprofit leaders. I'm the CEO of NAS, but we have nonprofit leaders in housing and in health and in jobs and then the whole education pipeline, early childhood um, EDs and CEOs of centers and schools, um, K through 12 schools, after school, summer programs, as well as colleges. And then the Northside Achievement Zone ourselves, we do a whole host of parenting education classes <clears throat> um, and PAPA classes for, for, fa- for black fathers and so on. But the, the main thing is that what we did was we said, okay, all of these nonprofits in North Minneapolis, and by the way, place matters. And so sure where does. the it biggest sure disparities does. are is where we have to put the biggest um, insertion of effort, right? And so we all came together over a decade ago and said, you know what? I'm doing housing. You're doing early childhood. You're doing this. We are serving the same families, and um, and we're not talking to each other. So NAS ultimately – um, Ellie is about the adults in the sandbox playing well with each other and actually having the same goal, the Northside Achievement Zone, that all of our children graduate high school, college and career ready and get through college and that we transform the North Side into the asset that it really is and that we do that together. All of the organizations that I'm talking about and all of those that we no longer treat families and children as if they are um, divided parts, right. <laughs> but right. we treat them as a whole. Okay. And uh, so uh, tell us uh, how big is NASA's budget? How many team members do you have that are part of the organization? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <clears throat> so as the, so we have about 30 nonprofit partners, okay. right? Which include, which include schools and, um, and our budget is 12 million. And with the 12 million, and when I say our budget, I'm talking, so all of my partners have their own budgets as well. Right, right. <laughs> but we are a back, backbone organization. And so we do all of the parenting education, the father education, the youth education around empowerment, around kindergarten readiness, things of that nature. We have a number of curricular offerings. Right. Um, we um, pay for all of the evaluation because a big thing, Ellie, is we have to show that our work works. Right. And so yep. we have yep. to measure data is important. And in fact, one of our values, our values are called NAS facts. Um, and that's focusing on the success of children and families, the F, advancing racial equity for all, the A, creating a trusting community, the C, and the last one is data, um, transforming our community through data and learning. And so that's what we do. We work with Wilder Research, plus we have our own evaluation team. We do community <laughs> wellness. Trauma in our community is real. 
So we have um, staff who focus on trauma and they work in partnership with one of our key partners, Washburn Children's Center. Um, so we do all the evaluation. We do all of the parenting education. We do all of the connectivity around our partners. And so we host the meetings. We work with our partners to create a shared plan for the North Star. Um, and then um, we have family achievement coaches they are from the community. They work full time um, and they connect our families to the supports of our 30 partners. And we have this comprehensive plan that we then call the team that surrounds a child. So we might have, for example, Team Royce. And that would be um, Royce is one of our scholars. We call all our baby scholars, by the way, Ellie, because we want to get at the belief gap. So there is an achievement gap steeped in racism and there's also a belief gap that is the result of that and so we call all our baby scholars because we know that they have the intellectual <laughs> efficacy no matter what they want to do and uh and so anyway so and and many of the families go through our uh, parenting education classes as well well sandra you know one of the things that i think that really stands out about naz is that it is so comprehensive it is mm-hmm. it is like wraparound in a, mm-hmm. a, in a variety of ways, and this coaching about families, coaching of men. Um, let me ask you, um, with great respect, a question mm-hmm. that I keep getting um, mm-hmm. as I do my racial equity work. Mm-hmm. You know, and usually it's preceded by somebody saying, you know, so, you know, somebody saying, well, you know, I understand the statistics about the number of you know, incarcerated, mainly black men compared to the white population. It's Mm -hmm. much higher. But that's Mm -hmm. always followed by the comment. But Ellie, what do what do we say about the fact that, you know, statistically, it appears that black men are more violent. And Mm -hmm. and so that's why more of, quote, quote, unquote, them are in prison. And the reason I'm asking you that question is because I think that there's a theme here about the, the family dynamics, the family trauma, and the family coaching that you're well aware of at NAS. Mm-hmm. Am, I, mm-hmm. am I right about this? Oh, absolutely, <laughs> Ellie. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so this is, it is such a great, great question. And, and I know that sentiment is out there, though I really get it, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, as a black woman living in the middle of North Minneapolis, which is disproportionately African American community. Right. That, by the way, <clears throat> suffers disproportionately from black on black violence. Right. And I say that, um, I, I, I had moved to talking about community violence because we don't call white on white violence by that, right? And right. it's white, far more white people kill other white people, but the disproportionality and, and I can't stay away from calling it black on black because itself is a remnant is a product of racism. And so let me, let, let me say more about that. And I struggled with this from the time I was 14 and the first African-American young man in my community was murdered that I knew murdered by another African-American young man. And I'm 55. And for like 20 years of my life, I, w- it, I was questioning, are we more violent? Why are we killing each other so much? I haven't seen a white person in a white hood come into our community ever. I just see it in the movies. But Ellie, as a big grown adult now who understands history and how we got to where we are, it, it ha- may, has 
everything to do with the racism that America is steeped in. It, it is our our foundation that we stand in. And so I, can I use George Floyd as an example? Please do. Uh, so what I keep saying is that the murder of George Floyd, the egregious murder that we're all just angry about and, want, and are demanding change is the tip of the racist iceberg. Right. If it's an iceberg and we know the danger of an iceberg is what's underneath the waterline, underneath the murder under the knee of George Floyd is the murder um, of uh, metaphorically of black people underneath the waterline, the murder of us in education, the murder of us in housing, the murder of us in jobs and incarceration and health and wealth. You know, all of that is all there. And so George's his story, he represents George Floyd is we have about close to 2000 children who are part of the North Side Achievement Zone who are zero to 18. Mm-hmm. They are. That's George. That They are. They many of them have George's background, meaning his family, their history. He they were sharecroppers in the South, slaves, of course, in the South and then sharecroppers. His great great grandfather was actually one of those um, um, uh, sl- emancipated slaves who had great um, um, agency, and he bought a lot of land. And the family was like, you know, moving up there. And the white people in the community, we keep hearing about this, like right. you know, about Black Wall Street and how that yep. got all turned, you know, burned up by white folks who didn't, who who were angry about the progress blacks were making happened to George Floyd's family. And so they seized all of his property, burnt down all they had. And he was further back economically than he had been even, you know, right after slavery and never made it back again. Right. And so his family stayed mired in poverty, American poverty, because of this color of their skin. And then they all moved to um, I think George is from Texas, if I'm not right. um, yep. incorrect. H- uh, Houston. His, yep. Houston and his mom is single. They move into one of the most notorious housing projects. You know why they moved into a housing project, Ellie? Because that's what white folks did to black folks back then. Yep. Okay. And yep. they, and we know now Cabrini, that stacking, Cabrini green in Chicago. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yes. Yep. We know now that stacking poverty on top of poverty on top of poverty doesn't work. And these are the same people, by the way, we made. So everybody on, your show, Ellie, who's listening to the show, should see the documentary called 13. Because that talks about the 13th Amendment. This is how you want to talk about black men being locked up. It is baked into the systemic planned strategy of America. And the 13th Amendment talks about when slavery ended. Right. The amendment was no one will be in bondage unless, unless they, they commit a crime. Commit a crime, right? right. Yep. So right after slavery, nobody has free labor anymore. And we're we're moving into the industrial age, right? And there's no free labor, which is why America is one of the greatest countries and sorry, richest countries on the planet. Because if I didn't have to pay my 50 employees, Ellie, I, we, we would be having some serious money because the majority <laughs> of my budget goes right. to my people. So anyway, so America passes that. So then all of these um, 
the rail industry, the tr- the um, train and you know the railroads yep. and yep. the um, the um, you know all of these other industries, Text- steel industry, the textile industry, yep. textile industry, they needed workers. So with that amendment, it's like okay, we can't have them in bondage unless they commit a crime. So everything became a crime. So if you if you um, um, stole a pig, that was a felony. Okay, and you would get locked up if you whistled at a white woman or she felt disrespected in any way. That was a crime. You got locked up. I mean, there was they made yep, that's so if our you, loitering, our loitering laws. Our loitering. Yeah, and I'm I'm going yes, yep. our loitering law, and I'm I'm going too deep, but everything. So we had we we created this culture of incarceration, and of course today, and and they were used to build industry. So because slavery went away, we slavery put on a new skin like a snake. And that's when we got that. That legacy goes right through George Floyd's family. And again, he's an archetype of many of the black males who are in our program. So now his mother is living in the equivalent of Cabrini Green. George has a dream of being a Supreme Court justice. But George is in um, a, um, a housing project, and he is served by failing schools all around him and people who have the same history as him, and they're all poor. He learns quickly that he ain't in no kind of pipeline to become a Supreme Court justice. Just basically based on the school system, the failing school system, which still happens today. Like, this is not history. This is present. So George then, oh, I'm a black male. Let me get into sports. I'm a big guy. Right. That's the one area we've allowed black people to um, to play in. Right. And so he tries to do that. He does some, you know, does some um, um, basketball and things of that nature. But he ain't making it to the NBA. And so George is so no education, you know, no future. No dad, right? And again, and by the way, under Reagan, and I'm sure his dad, it, it, and I don't know this, but I'm just making it up for the kids that I know in my community. You know, under Reagan, three strikes are out, not for violent crimes, Ellie, but it's because you could have had weed. Right. George, of course, we know for $10 bag of weed, he got incarcerated for 10 months. Okay, like that. We know that happened to him. And we know what happens when we put young boys in jail, that they actually become better criminals when they're in there and they're hopeless. And then, oh, what happens when they get out, Ellie? Nobody will rent to you. You can't get a college loan and you can't get a job. Right. So what do you do? And and again, Reagan locked up a whole heap of black folks nonviolent crime, drug offender, um, drug offenses. What do you do if you can't get a job, you don't have a place to live and you are and you are a a man and you feel like you should be contributing to your community and to the household? Then you're going to go to an economy if you're smart. And what we have created in our inner cities are underground economies. Right. So so then. What happens is you get into this vicious cycle. And, of course, Reagan's administration also dropped crack cocaine into our neighborhoods, like knowingly allowed crack cocaine in exchange for the weapons that were um, given to the Contras. 
um, to be dropped with a blind eye in the middle of black communities. And we all know that. And I, Ellie, my I am a, a, a baby of the crack era. So when I say a baby, I would have been, you know, in my teens. I watched my community get decimated. I watched people get locked up like changing your underwear, Ellie. Black people, okay, particularly Mm -hmm. black boys. And their major crime was that they were addicted to a drug that our white-led government poured out in our communities. And so you have this cycle now, Ellie, of, oh, and by the way, the thing that happened here in North Minneapolis, here's the other thing um, that separated us. Um, this used to be a very Jewish and black community. Right. Right. In terms of the diversity and yep. large the red, white. The, the, yeah. The redlining. Yep. 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 Of course. Yep. A lot. So redlining. So you couldn't get mortgages. And if you did get a mortgage, by the way, you paid exponentially more than white people yep. did in terms of interest and so on. But anyway, so Jewish and black. But after the war, when folks were coming back, The suburbs opened up for Jewish people. That's why we call St. Louis Park right now St. Jewish Park. Yep, SLP. Lovingly. Yep, yep. Yeah, lovingly. But the the suburbs opened up for them. The suburbs did not open up for black folks. And one of the ways the suburbs opened up is that when people came back from war, men, they were able to get the GI Bill, right, that gave them money to further their education for mortgages, Black people were black men were not allowed to get GI benefits. They did not get money for mortgages, which makes people first class. I mean, middle class. They did not get loans for college. And so you see this separate. So this gap, Ellie, that we keep talking about. And and I don't like calling it an achievement gap in education. I keep I'm calling it now the opportunity gap. In education and in housing and in income and in wealth and in car that 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 gap where white folks do so well and black folks do. Sorry, I'm changing my language where white folks are given so many opportunities <laughs> and black folks are given so little. That's the gap, Ellie. OK, that is the gap. Sandra, I got to stop you because we yeah. got to take a break. OK. Yeah. But when yeah. we come back, I want to talk more about this. OK. OK. All right. Is that all right? Oh, sure. <laughs> OK. All right. All right. Listeners, um, you and I have been getting an education, the education that we need from our guest, Sandra Samuels. Uh, the executive director of the Northside Achievement Zone. When we come back from our break, we're going to talk to her a little bit more. Uh, you're listening to me, Ellie Krug on uh, Ellie 2.0 Radio, uh, one of the few radios stations in the country that tell you the way it is. Thanks. And we're back on LE 2.0 Radio. I've been speaking with uh, Sandra Samuels, who is the executive director of the Northside Achievement Zone, known as NAS. And we were talking about how everything that America has done to people who are black in skin color weighs on them and shows up in a variety of ways that we're dealing with today in 2021. 
Uh, Sandra, I wanted to particularly focus on your, you know, we've been talking, we, we got down, we started down this road, and I am so thankful for your great explanation about George Floyd and how he's, he's symbolic of what America has done uh, to black people, but particularly to black men. Um, but what Naz, one of the things you're doing is you, you've got this, you know, this family counseling, this parenting education, particularly for, for men. Tell us, how does that, how does that counter what America has done uh, to yeah. the black community? Yeah. So thank you, Ellie. Great question. Um, so we have a curricular offerings called Family Academy, right, that we have. And we have like five or six offerings. College Bound Babies Program for parents who have children zero to three and it's 12 weeks and they get paid by the way, they get a stipend. And that's the other thing we pay for all of our classes. We give stipends to families because as a community, we want them to know this is so important to us as a community, not just you and your child, but to all of us because we're all in this together. Right. Right. The intricate, we understand how interconnected we all are Ellie across all races. But anyway, yep. Yeah, totally. And so, um, so college bound babies, ready for K, then that's an eight week program, college bound scholars. But then we have an empowerment class called NAS Foundations. And it's the same type of program that like the Jeremiah program that focuses Mm -hmm. on women. Yep. And um, getting them into the workforce, they give them housing and so on. But you can't even get into the Jeremiah program if you haven't taken Um, their empowerment series of classes, which is usually like, I think, eight weeks as well. And so we do that at NAS and it's all about, it's kind of a, um, it's kind of a cognitive restructuring and it gets at people's core hurts. Right. Because, you know, Ellie, the biggest thing that uh, nobody can sabotage us better than we can ourselves. Well, the message from society to people who aren't white is that you are lesser. Yes, that is yes, the, that is yes. the message from the moment you can yes. watch TV, right? From the time you can, it, you're soaking it in all the time, and yeah. so that is actually what this um, the, our foundations class about, and what they do at Jeremiah. It is like, and in fact, the mantra is like, I, you know, I am important, you know, I'm special, you know, and I'm capable. Like it's something like that. I didn't yep. get it quite right, but that's but okay. But that's what white kids have been hearing from, you know. Yes. Well, right? Ellie, they white kids don't have to hear it. All they gotta do is go to South Dakota and see their images carved, carved <laughs> into a, the side of a big ass mountain, <laughs> and it's like that's role modeling right there. Right. And, right. And so, but anyway, so we we do the classes, and it is like you are somebody so that people can get out of their own way in every area of their lives from their parenting to keeping a job to getting a better job to improving their income all of that and one of the things that and we we have a youth program that's empowerment as well but one of the things that a lot of the dads in our program said to us because most of our um, programs were populated by black women we serve we serve deliberately the African-American low-income community. That's our sweet spot in North Minneapolis. Sure. And so the, we would have a dad here or there who would be a part of the classes. And um, and just stereotypically, Ellie, women did all the talking. <laughs> and, the, and, and so different guys said to the men who were leading programs, 
man, why can't we have our own thing? You know, like, cause like, I'm not like, I can't get a word in edgewise. Like I'm being stereotypical, but it's true. And there was so few of them. So we created something like, and in fact, we were, we just canceled an event, Ellie called family man. And it was going to be the fathers who are part of our fathering program who are going through this as black men in community um, that they were going to share with the broader community what they're getting out of creating these cohorts of black men who care about their children, their partners, themselves and their community. Um, many of them have have had um, challenges with prison and, and things of that nature, Ellie, for all the reasons I talked about earlier. Right. And they're creating these cohorts of men who want better and are seeking better, who are trying to do better. And they talk about the pain of, you know, sometimes not being able to even see their children. Right. Because of how the system is arrayed of not being able to provide in the ways they want. So they're looking for a better job and better income. And I mean, and they and they they cry together, Ellie, and they and they share their triumphs together as well. And it is it. I think it's the most powerful thing that we're doing because it is transforming um, the lives of the men and, and, and make no mistake, America came after black men more than any other group of people. <laughs> okay. Right. And, and it is, it, they, they are gaining strength, their own strength, by the way, everything that we do at NAS, in fact, we're call, we call it power. We call it community power, parent power, youth power, because they already have agency. They are already powerful. We're just holding up a mirror and giving some tools, some skills, some knowledge to build on their inherent worth and and efficacy. Wow. Okay. well, and this is I mean, we 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 go back to that messaging that you Mm -hmm. are lesser and it is a message that is so ingrained in humans. Yep. And, um, right, right. you know, and, and, and I assume you, you've, you, you've got metrics, you're tracking, you're tracking yes. all the participants in your program. I yes. mean, you've got, I'm yes. sure you've got data that's showing how, how they've moved up the ladder economically. I'm sure you've got data in terms of, I, I mean, I know on your website, the children who go through your pre-K program are, and, and then who go through NAS programs are doing better academically than their cohorts. Do I have that right? Yes. Yep. Early childhood, everything. The other indicators, Ellie, so um, we got, that we've is got something. Sa- Sandra, we got about a minute, a minute and a half. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. no, but go the, ahead and give us the, the other indicators. So, so yep. yeah. So the other indicators we're working on, really looking at and tracking, you know, economic um, um, upward mobility. And th- right. That's all part of it. Right. What we've been focused on for the last decade is are our interventions making a difference in the life of the child? And even though we've been doing, and so, so just so you know, yes, everything you just named is what we have our eye on tracking into the future. Good, good. Well, Sandra, you and I could talk for, I think, a couple of hours, but unfortunately <laughs> I've got to get to a couple of other 
things on yeah. the show. But but yeah. um, Naz, if somebody wants to support Naz, what do they do? How do they get to it? Go to our website because they can sign up for newsletters there, <laughs> Ellie, because it's real important just to stay connected and know what we're doing. Like we're having a treater trunk. Um, event tomorrow at Big Brothers Big Sisters here on the north side and we were looking for volunteers to open up their trunks with treats <laughs> and and we're also doing a family academy graduation at the same time so if they were on our um, email list they would have known that that was an opportunity uh, so that's okay. one all right so the website the website yes. is northsideachievementzone.org yes Yes. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. Right. And then they can make donations. They can give as yes, well. Yes, right? absolutely. Okay. Always need that. <laughs> All right. Well, Sandra, it has just been a real pleasure to talk with you. And um, I'm going to have you back again. I guarantee it. Okay. Okay. Ellie, thank you so much. I uh, adore you. Oh, well, it's reciprocal. Trust me. Okay, <laughs> listeners, we've been speaking with Sandra Samuels, the executive director and co founder of the Northside Achievement Zone. Um, go check out their website. NorthSideAchievementZone.org. All you have to do is just Google NAS Minneapolis and you'll get it. When we come back from the break, we'll do my C block, a very compressed one. We'll be back in a second. Thanks. AM 950 LA 2.0 Radio. I told you, I told you, I told you would like Sandra Samuels. I told you. And, you know, she's a rock star. I'm going to have her back someday, not too far distant down the road, because uh, she was so much fun to talk to. All right. In my C block, I'm not going to talk about my work. I told you this is kind of a free agency, a little bit here, a little bit there. I'm going to talk about two, quickly, two topics that are dear to my heart, transgender kids and school boards. Trans kids. A week ago, uh, Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin issued a directive to Virginia's 133 school districts requiring that they establish new policies as it relates to transgender students. Those policies needed to be, first, that the student would, all students would be categorized by their biological sex, that is what they were assigned at birth, not by how they identify, and that it would restrict bathroom, locker room, and other facilities according to the student's biological sex. In other words, transgender kids can't get to use a facility that aligns with their gender identity, and that students across the Commonwealth of Virginia can't adopt new names or pronouns without parental consent. And we know that a lot of parents will not consent to that, okay? And students are afraid to let their parents know that they're transgender or that they're questioning whether they're transgender. Now, this directive, according to all the things I've read, seems to be violative of Virginia's Human Rights Act and federal law. I mean, the Supreme Court, after all, has said that being transgender is a protected class as it relates to employment. And the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals has ruled that transgender students should be given access to the bathroom that aligns with their gender identity, as well as the Fourth Circuit more recently said that Gender dysphoria, that is the discomfort between your brain and your body when your brain doesn't match your body, is protected under the ADA. And the way that you treat gender dysphoria is that you allow somebody to live according to their gender identity. 
In other words, to transition. Now, this has ignited a huge debate in advance of school board elections, and I'm sure that that's what this was intending to do. But think about it. If you're a transgender or a gay or lesbian bisexual kid or the parent of one of those kids in Virginia right now, think of how horrible that is. Now, speaking of school board elections, on top of marginalizing transgender students this morning, Fox News, yes, I go to it sometimes, reports that Youngkin is considering uh, endorsing conservative school board members, two of them, in Loudoun County, Virginia. It's outside of D.C. It's one; the, it's the third largest county in Virginia. So now Youngkin is marginalizing trans kids, and now he's going to endorse some conservative school board members so that he can get, <laughs> you know, if you can control the education of students, you control the destiny of America. You do. Now, in that same Fox News article, okay, um, it reported that there is this thing called the 1776 Project PAC, which has raised $2 million and endorsed candidates in 100 school board races. I wonder if that's happened in Minnesota, if there have been any endorsements. Um, and uh, this PAC, the uh, 1776 Project PAC, has had some success. 15 su- successful candidates in Texas, 35 in Florida. And you may recall that in August last month, Ron DeSantis endorsed school board candidates, okay? Again, as a way of pushing his agenda, okay? And all of this is against the, the claim that the left quotation marks around that, is doc, is indoctrinating students, okay? That they're indoctrinating them. I don't know with what, but that they're indoctrinating. I mean, are they indoctrinating them with the idea that all, all humans, all students, all adults should be given a degree of dignity and, and compassion and respect? Are they in, indoctrinating them with that? Are they indoctrinating them with, with teaching them to, to think critically about what, how our country has historically marginalized groups and that maybe we need to do a whole lot more work and get uncomfortable to change those dynamics? Is that indoctrination? Is it indoctrination to, um, to sit with students and allow them to talk about what's in their head and how they're struggling um, and, and giving them the space maybe to figure out if they are LGBTQ, is, is that indoctrination? Because I'm here to report to you, if you're LGBTQ, if, if you are, okay, it's not going to go away. It won't go away. So why don't, we, why don't we allow students to start to at least figure that out while they're in high school, okay, rather than to cause them to suppress, and God knows the depression, the, the addictions, and all the other stuff that comes with that. Now, the Republicans are getting into this school board stuff, and they're getting into it very heavily. And the reason that they are doing that is they believe that it will drive voters to the polls, okay, because they want that turnout. They're going to need that turnout to counter, what dare I say, the much bigger turnout that's going to show up because of Dobbs. You know, I'm a unifier, not a divider, okay? And, um, and, and I am. And, and uh, it, 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 it so hurts my heart 
uh, to read about how people are attacking my community as a way to garner votes. It, all right, well, there you go. Uh, the end of the show. Patrick is my producer. He's done great. He had to do a little math again today. But Patrick, you always do good on the math. To you, my listeners, hey, I'll be back next week. Hopefully I'll have a guest. We will see. Um, but between now and then, will you do me a favor? Go out, engage in an act of kindness for someone, okay? Do that. And then maybe it will ripple to other people. All right? Take care. Be well. I'm here. Bye-bye. Ellie Krug.